What do they say before the lines come out in the Falcon? They go, punch it, Chewie. Can you give me a punch it, Chewie? Punch it, Chewie. Hey, we're ready to talk some Chicago Cubs baseball as we move from the middle of August towards the end of the month here. This is episode 32 of Behind the Yellow Line with Jeremy Spector and Randall J. Sanders. I'm Ronan O'Shea and uh, some positive news here. The Cubs have won not one, but consecutive ball games. They take a series against the Cincinnati Reds and along the way snap a 13 game losing streak. So we want to talk about the Cubs, some really Unique names popping up in the uh, lineup these days, the Frank Schwindels of the world, the Rafael Ortegas of the world. Joneshwi Vargas, we hardly knew ye. He gone, but we're going to talk about some of these guys that are on the roster right now, the Patrick Wisdoms guys, what they're doing right now, some actually impressive offensive numbers from some of these players, also who we think of this group is going to fit into the mix for the 2022 Chicago Cubs. We'll also take a look at the minor leagues. We're going to do a quick wrap around all of the minor league stops about 30 seconds each, just some headlines, some notes, some things to talk about down on the farm. We will come back to the major leagues. The Cubs have a homestand coming up this weekend. Jeremy's going to be out at the ballpark on Saturday when the Kansas City Royals roll into Wrigley Field. The Colorado Rockies in after that, some things to talk about there. And then we want to talk about something that we were going to talk about last show and really ran out of time, completely forgot about it. The 2022 major league schedule is out and there are some big things here for the Chicago Cubs. We'll look at interleague play. We'll look at their important homestands and road trips. We'll also talk about that cornfield game. that's going to take place in Iowa next season between the Reds and the Cubs. And Randall, you called that last time we were talking about it was the night of the Yankees White Sox game. I thought Cubs Cardinals and you said, no, Ronan, I'm thinking it's going to be Cubs Reds. And you were right on the money. Two of the oldest teams in baseball meeting in Iowa next year. Well, it was uh, an educated guess that turned out accurate. And, you know, as you said, Cubs and Reds, one of the oldest uh, play pairs of teams playing each other it used to be tradition still is that the Reds get one of the first games of the major league season. It seemed logical that with MLB trying to push the history aspect of this event, that if, and if the Cubs were going to be in it, that they, they'd push the Reds alongside them. And that's how it turned out. So, uh, you know, stop clock is right twice a day in the vernacular. You excited about that, Jeremy, a little Cubs Reds in Iowa. You spent a lot of time in Iowa over the years. I, I, I am excited about that. I, I actually have not been able to get out to Dyersville to see the field, see the field of dreams, but I, I think it'd be cool. I, like I said, I thought it was a cool event last year or excuse me last week. Um, so I think next year, yeah, getting the Cubs out to play in the cornfields in Iowa, you know, the Cubs are pretty popular out in Iowa as well. So, uh, you know, and I was reading uh, some uh, reading about Craig Kimbrell talking about playing out there this year. And he talked about how they, they took the bus from Dubuque to uh, Dyersville. Dubuque Airport, because I guess that's where they flew into. I've flown to the Dubuque Airport before. But uh, Kimbrell said that there was a bunch of guys on the on the bu- team bus that were just, you know, just couldn't believe it. They said, these farms, there's so much farmland. Like, what is there to do out here? It must be pretty boring out here. And Kimbrell, apparent, who apparently owns a 1,200-acre farm in Tennessee, said, wow. what are you guys talking about? There's always things to do on the farm. The farm is the most active life you can possibly have. So I think it's cool to get those guys those experiences, even though I would think that many of them have played in the Midwest League, played out in Iowa where there's three, four teams, Iowa Cubs. But uh, I think it's cool just to get all those experiences out there. 
Very, very cool. And we are, we're big fans of the Midwest League. Lots of teams there in Iowa and Illinois, a lot of rural places across the Midwest. That was something I thought was very neat about the game. And when we were recording last week, the game was ongoing. We really didn't get a chance to take it all in. What an incredible finish. I know you weren't happy, Randall, seeing the White Sox get the walk off, but a lot of fireworks in the ninth inning. Hats off to Major League Baseball. We are the first people, and rightfully so, to criticize all the crappy things Major League Baseball does, the things they botch, and we're going to get to that a little bit later, even talking some collective bargaining agreement. But Major League Baseball pulled this thing off, an incredible event, and I'm excited about this next year. Cubs, Reds, two of the oldest teams in baseball, old school National League teams playing out there. It's going to be a great event, and uh, hopefully the Cubs will be competitive uh, to make it a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I think it's going to be really cool. And I, I think it's cool to have the Reds, as Randall, uh, you know, mentioned last week. And I, I think the Reds uh, last year, or a couple of years ago, was it last year where they were 150 years, I think, uh, for their franchise history, 1870, I guess, 2020. And they broke out a whole bunch of retro jerseys. So I think the type of jerseys that the Cubs and the Reds will wear next year will be pretty cool. Maybe you get like a pillbox hat type thing for the Reds or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's a good matchup. And, you know, Joey Votto, we, we saw him all this weekend. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. So, you, you know, you can get killed by Joey Votto in a new place. Yeah, it, we can add another ballpark to the list of places where Joey Votto has, has killed the Cubs. Uh, Ronan, you know, you said hopefully the Cubs will be competitive. Well, I think what we can hope for is that the Cubs who will play in Iowa next season are not Cubs who – Uh, spent a lot of time in Iowa next season. So we can hope for that. It'll be fun. And we're going to get into the Cubs here in just a moment. I want to say one quick other thing before we dive into that. I was out at Coors Field last night, very cheap tickets, only about 20,000 people there for the Padres, a team that is falling apart in an epic, epic fashion after their hot start this year. But it was Rockies Padres last night. I've been to a lot of baseball games, many, many years, lots of Cubs losses over the years. I saw something yesterday I have never seen before in person and inside the park home run Jake Cronenworth of the San Diego Padres hit one out to right field really awkward play defensively from Blackman and Wright. it bounced off the wall he turned on the Jets there were four home runs hit in that game last night the inside the park home run and the longest home run hit this season in Major League Baseball Randall who hit that I believe it was Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham, 486 feet. He hit one out. Uh, Charlie Blackman with a 444 hit home, uh, foot home run. That came in the seventh inning. Rockies win that ball game. But it's uh, always fun. You know, you go out to a midweek, end of the summer, night game at Coors Field. You're looking at two teams here, the Padres and the Rockies. And I got to see an inside the park home run. Uh, Jeremy, you've been to a lot of games over the years. Randall, I know you have not seen a major league inside the park home run. Jeremy, have you ever witnessed that or a triple play or any really super random or special event like that? No, I don't believe I have. I, I don't think I've ever seen it uh, uh, inside the park home run. I've definitely never seen a triple play. Don't believe I've ever gotten the privilege like Randall to see a no hitter or a perfect game at least. So I, I haven't really seen any type of special rare plays like that. I've seen a few milestones, players doing certain things, but I've never seen something like in the game, like some sort of special uh, moment like that. I would like to say I have witnessed a John Lester home run in person. Okay, that's, that's fun. That's not inside <laughs> the park. That's I not saw a Mark Burley play. hit a home run. In Milwaukee, if I in know Milwaukee. your story, Jeremy, I've heard yeah. your stories a million times and I've listened to you. And I, I think remember it's rarer that. than John Lester. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, very fun, though. It was cool, though, to see it happen. And I was in the last row of the ballpark in the top of the upper deck. I moved around the upper deck throughout the ball game, ended up in the top row for a while. And it was just one of those things where right off the bat, I thought it was going over the fence. It hits the fence. It bounces away from Blackman, who's not the fastest player. There was a time in his career where he had decent speed, but he's really beginning to age out in right field for the Rockies. And uh, to see Cronenworth do it, very, very fun. Uh, but yikes, the Padres, a real mess. Jake Arrieta, our old buddy, getting the start today for the Padres. He goes a couple of innings, gave up three runs in the first, seven earned in the game and left injured. So uh, not going so well for him. And suddenly the Padres find themselves on the outside looking in at the playoffs. Uh, but let's talk about the Cubs here. Uh, they're playing pretty good baseball, at least over the last two days. The winning streak up to two after the 13 game losing streak. So it's a milestone just to get back in the win column. I was thinking today, Randall, today's win almost assures they're not going to get to 100 losses this season. They're almost certain to get to 90 losses. It's probably going to end up in the mid-90s, but it's going to be very difficult for them to get to 100 losses. And the Reds are competitive. They're trying to make the playoffs. they got a decent chance of doing that. To take two out of three from them with this lineup, with this team, I'm going to celebrate that. It's fun to beat the Reds like that. It's absolutely fun to beat the Reds like that, and they have to be just apoplectic, wondering how yeah. they lost two games out of three to this team. Uh, well, you know, in the vernacular, it sucks to suck. Sorry, Reds. Um <laughs> You know, every time you win two games, I always think of Lou Brown in Major League Major League Two, I want to say, which I think is unfairly maligned because it gives us a lot of the quotes that we attribute to those movies. But the old, you know, uh, win tomorrow and that's called a winning streak. It has happened before. Every time you win two games in a row, that's all. That's where my mind goes is win tomorrow. And that's called a winning streak. Jeremy, yeah. you were giving Randall and I a bit of a hard time this week. We're talking about the show. We wanted to get some ideas for what we wanted to talk about. And you're like, hey, you guys are not paying enough attention to these guys on the big league roster that are doing good things. And there's plenty of names that we're going to get to in this segment here. But we want to talk about this current roster. You were here in Denver for really the beginning of it at the start of August when we saw Frank Schwindel and we saw more of Rafael Ortega and, and guys just sort of working themselves in the lineup all the time. Let's start with Frank Schwindel. Most Cubs fans, I would argue, on April 1st this year at the start of the season had never heard of Frank Schwindel. This guy was not on their radar. He's actually playing really good baseball of late. Extra base hits, game after game. He's got a streak right now of extra base hits that has not been done by a Cubs hitter since 2009, Aramis Ramirez. Jeremy, you're very much on the Frank Schwindel bandwagon right now. What are you seeing in this first baseman who's come up and at least over the last 10 days or so has really hit the cover off the ball? Yeah, man, I'm definitely on the Frank Schwindel bandwagon. If I have to have a guy to root for during these two months, I'm going to pick my guy and it's going to be Frank Schwindel. So I think, though, you were a little unfair to the Cubs a little earlier. I think you said they had a 13-game losing streak, but I believe it's only a 12-game losing streak that they had. Um uh, but uh, they were uh, two away, I thought, from their team record of 14 to open the 97 season. But uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, here's a guy who obviously was not in the system at the start of the year, came up in the Kansas City Royal system from St. John's. Uh, Cubs got him from Oakland. And he, I don't know, he's had four 20 home run seasons in the minors. So he's been hitting the ball hard. And if there's going to be a, a week, you know, to root for a guy, why not root for Frank Schwindel? He, he's barely played in the majors. He's come up. He's hit it hard. He's been worth almost as much more on fan grass than Anthony Rizzo has for the entire season in two weeks. So for, for the Cubs. 
So it's 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 fun to root for a guy. He's hit he's hitting the ball hard everywhere. Him and Ortega both have looked pretty decent so far. Um, so I, you know why not? It, I and I and one piece of I didn't realize he also was a catcher at, at one point in his career. So that was a little interesting factoid I noted on Frank Schwindel. So uh, yeah, I think it's it's fun to have. You know the Cubs are still playing, so you might as well enjoy this baseball team. Not unlike. Patrick Wisdom. This is a guy who has power numbers to his name in the minor league career. And, you know, it's okay to dream on guys like this. You you get guys who in their their mid to late 20s unlock something in in the swing, a new coach, a a new a new stance. Uh, So it's okay to dream on a guy like this. You know, as you said, the the big league team isn't doing anything this year. You've got nothing but at bats to give to guys who earn it. So it's 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 fun to dream on these guys. I would like to say, and I'm sure we'll get to this later, I would hope that the front office isn't so enamored with these small samples that they don't upgrade these positions in the offseason. But for right now, you might as well root for these guys because they're who's they're they are who is playing for the Cubs. Well, I'm it's, not I'm not saying that I think Frank Schwindel is gonna come out here and be uh be uh you know, big time major league contributor or anything. I I think I just think it's fun to have a guy come who's barely played in the majors, just Nobody expected. He's 29 years old. He comes out. He just starts hitting the ball hard. Why not? Why not have fun with that? And why not keep it going for as long as he can go? I mean, I don't expect Frank Schwindel to be a 2021 Cub or, or who, or excuse me, 2022 Cub much into the future, but it's a fun guy to root for. So I, I think him and it's a couple of the other guys on the team, like, you know, appreciate that they're, they're getting their chance. They're getting their chance to be major league baseball players. So they're going to probably, you know, do everything they can to do to stay up there. So why not root for these guys? Sure. Definitely. And I'm, I'm not saying, I, I'm not saying I am getting ahead of myself. I'm not saying you shouldn't root for these guys because there's nothing else to do with this team right now, but root for these guys. So you might as well. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of fans lose sight of, a lot of the storylines and perspectives that people have over the course of the season, especially players, players have a different relationship with the Cubs than we do as fans. And we're here win or lose year after year, players come and go, managers come and go. We're watching this team for these players. This is an opportunity. Frank Schwindel being a great example. He can have it make some money right now for really the first time in his life. He can really do some things here, stay on a 40-man roster, stay active. He played in less than 40 major league games before coming to the Cubs this season. So for him, yeah, this is a lost season for the Cubs. We're going to look back on this season years from now and go, man, that was a disaster. It was horrible what happened at the trade deadline and the Cubs lost 95 games or whatever it ends up being. For him, this could be one of the most important years and months of his entire life and his career. So that's what makes it compelling. That's why I'm still watching games. Yeah, let's go see what Frank Schlindel has. And then the natural question is, okay, we know this is a lost season in terms of playoffs, pennants, and World Series. Who of this group will contribute next year? Is Patrick Wisdom going to be a key part of the 2022 Chicago Cubs should be? Should Ortega be in the mix next year? What's Frank Schwindel going to be? First base has been locked up for the Cubs for the last decade with a very, very good player. There's no guarantee he's coming back. There's no guarantee that's the right thing for the Cubs to do after he wraps up his time in New York. So that's why you watch. That's why you pay attention. And for these players, they're having the time of their lives out there. They're playing big league ball. They get to play at Wrigley Field this weekend. That's nothing to take lightly. And that's why even in a lost season, 
I'm still putting on the game at night and tracking what's going on and, and seeing what these guys do night to night. And that stat with Frank Schwindel, it was seven consecutive games with extra base hits. Aramis lasted that July 22 through 29 of 2009, a season that we all look back on with a lot of mixed feelings with how that ended for the Cubs. But that's great company, Randall. Aramis, good place to be if you're Frank Schwindel. How great is it going to be in another 10 years or so, what, or however, however long it takes to do that again? And the answer to that trivia question is who last put together the, the streak of extra base hits? And the answer is Frank Schwindel. How great is that going to be when we get mm -hmm. to that point in history where someone does that again? And that's the name that comes up. Well, other than Schwindel, I think another name, especially given his hot start, was Patrick Wisdom. Uh, came out of the box just crushing the ball. Last 200 plate appearances haven't been so good for him. The strikeouts are up. The power isn't what it was over the first month or so. Jeremy, when you look at a guy like Patrick Wisdom, what's the expectation maybe for next year with someone like that? Do you go in and, and expect him to be playing regularly, or is he maybe vying for a bench role? Where do you think he fits in to 2022? I think it's – I mean, it's obviously it's, it's tough to say because the Cubs this offseason – they have so much flexibility with what they can do. They've obviously improved the farm system system. They have so much money coming off the books. I mean, we'll see what the CBA says about how much money they'll be able to spend, but they have so much money coming off the books. They should at a minimum spend, you know, enough just to bring in some players. They can make trades uh, to bring in. So how they address all of the holes and there are quite a lot of holes Will be interesting. I, I I don't expect a team next year will that'll probably be competing for like 90, 95 wins, but they could make a competitive team, uh, 80 wins, a little more than that uh, next year. So Patrick Wisdom, you know, he could be a type of guy you can kind of come into seeing, given getting a shot at the start of next year as a third baseman. He's played a solid defensive third base. The strikeouts have been there. Uh, he slowed down, as you mentioned, lately. But I still think he's played well enough to earn uh, at least – you know, he's, he's probably going to come to spring training next year and get a shot at maybe uh, putting it out there. Unless, unless there's somebody out there that they're just able to make uh, a, a deal with to get a, a legitimate third base option. Um, but, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see Patrick Wisdom out there in 2022. Is he going to be around for the next Cubs team? Great Cubs team? I don't really think so. But I do think, you know, he could get a shot to play for a team that's, you know, a middle-of-the-pack team trying to, you know, trying to find a spot in the majors, see if he can produce any more over a full season. So, yeah, I could see him out there 2022 playing third base for the Cubs. Randall, what do you think? You, you know, and I'm going to preface this by saying this is not a knock on Patrick Wisdom, who, again, he was a journeyman up to this point, a guy who had bounced around, and he's come up and he's done very good work for the Cubs. My, my concern with Patrick Wisdom is, again, that he is given maybe more of a – a guarantee more of a shot than you should give a Patrick wisdom. I think he's a guy who could be a fantastic bench piece on a really competitive team. He can play all four corner positions. He's got power. That's the kind of guy who's got a lot of value to a competitive team. And again, this is going to sound a lot meaner than it is. I don't want to see Patrick wisdom necessarily starting next season. I want to see him in that super utility role. He gets maybe three, four starts a week, a lot of pinch hit at bats, maybe defensive replacement late in the game. I want them to do, and again, I, I, this is not an indictment of wisdom. I want them to do better than wisdom at those four positions uh, and the two positions really where he'd be most apt to start first base and third base. I want them to do better. 
if they don't do better, I could very much see him being told you're going to come to spring training as a starting third baseman, starting first baseman. I don't necessarily want to see that, but it would not surprise me if that were the case, depending on what they do or don't do this off season. The, the one thing I would say is, uh, and uh, you know, I agree. I mean, I would want a better third base option than Patrick wisdom, but as you mentioned, and they have so many holes that I think it's hard to address every hole they have in one off season. And if you're looking at certain places to upgrade, to really upgrade, you know, I don't know what they're going to do in the middle infield next year with Madrigal and Horner. I, I, I'm not convinced that either of those is a shortstop. So maybe a shortstop is a possibility. You can move Horner to an outfield spot. Uh, field, or, you know, yeah. You know, who knows what's up with Hap. So you have, you have holes in the outfield. You have hole, a hole at first base, though that might be easier to fill. So if you – want to fill a whole bunch of other holes before filling the third base hole with Patrick. Uh, you know, I could see Patrick wisdom coming out there next year, just because there's so much work to do that. I don't know if third base necessarily will be the top spot. The Cubs will try to make an acquisition. Yeah. Jeremy, that that's a fair point. They, they do have a lot of work to do this off season. And they may say, look, there's positions that need bigger upgrades than what an upgrade from Patrick Wisdom would constitute. So that's a fair point. They may say, look, you're a relatively sure thing. We're going to plug you in here and devote our resources to upgrading elsewhere. So that's a, that's a fair point. And again, I don't mean to, to indict Patrick Wisdom. He's come up and he's done a very good job. He has, and it's been fun watching him crush the baseball. The 40% strikeout rate, though, is completely untenable. You can't sustain that. And I would feel better about the Cubs next year if he was more in a utility role coming off the bench. If your third baseman does get hurt or down, he's perfectly able to fill in. It also has me thinking, Jeremy, you'd mentioned Ian Happ. What's David Bodie to the 2022 Chicago Cubs? He doesn't make a lot of money. He's got some power. He's a good defensive player at multiple positions, but he's also struggled uh, in many ways, getting on base and hitting consistently. So there's a lot of guys sort of similar in that way that could be on next year's team, but there is a lot of money to spend. And, and to your point also, Jeremy, there's holes to fill, maybe all three outfield spots, a couple infield positions. I'm with you in that. I don't think Nico uh, or Madrigal for that matter are going to be major league shortstops and you need a good defensive shortstop. So maybe Nico ends up in center field for a bit. We're pretty optimistic that Brendan Davis is going to be up hopefully earlier than later next season. He'll fill out in a hopefully center field and outfield spot. So there's help coming on the farm. There's money to spend. It's going to be intriguing to see how Jed Hoyer approaches this offseason. And then you throw in the wrinkle about the collective bargaining disagreement, let's call it, expiring here in December. So it's going to be a slow start to the offseason. We're not going to know much about payroll at all. And then once the rules are finally finalized, there could be a mad dash trading players and signing free agents. Never a dull moment. We're going to be covering all of it here. We're going to keep this podcast going in the offseason. But uh, that's why we're watching again right now with these players. Another player I want to mention here, Randall, unless you had a point before that. Yeah, I do have a point. I think it's very fitting that the individual from Colorado is renaming it the CBD from the CBA. I just like to point that out. The CBD from the wild. Wow, look at Randall making these hip references. He's always on top of it. Uh, what about Rafael Ortega? Speaking of Colorado, the former Rocky played for them about 10 years ago. Is it fair to say that he might be the most significant piece from this group of guys that have come up this year in terms of the 2022 Chicago Cubs? He's been hitting very well. I think he's, yeah, I, I agree with that. Cause I think He's a left-handed option 
he he can I mean I, I think he's the type of guy that could be a fourth or fifth outfielder. Uh he's been hitting well. Like if there there could be something there. Like he's he's cranking the ball. Uh and he's hit a lot better than I think anyone would expect it, uh, him to do. I mean, he, he's got what, like almost a 900 OPS. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see him. And I also think then you have the right-handed uh, counter to him uh, in her, cause he, cause Ortega has not hit left-handed pitching at all. That's the one knock against him really. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of other knocks. He's not obviously not like a major league contributor in his career, but from what we've seen with the Cubs, but then you look at him and Hermosillo, I think is the right-handed version of him. We'll see if he can do anything. He hit a home run today up there. So I, I just think Ortega, yeah, you know, you really get him against right-handed pitching. I think he could be a type of guy coming off the bench, a fourth, fifth outfielder. He can give you something. We'll see. I mean, maybe, you know, Chris, nobody thought Chris Coughlin, like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, no, in 2014 or, thir- or what, uh, I think he came up 14. Nobody would have thought Chris Coughlin would be a major contributor to a World Series winning Cubs team. So, you know, you never know who's going to stick around. Yeah, it's it's a little ironic. Uh, we know the issues they've had in the leadoff spot since Fowler left in free agency. They seem to have this consistent everyday leadoff guy who gets on base and does everything you want your number one hitter to do. And they, they find it in this journeyman having the best stretch of his short career in a lost season for his team. So it's a little bit ironic. I think he's certainly played himself into getting a look next year. He's a lot like wisdom. I don't know how much you necessarily want to rely on him, but I think he's earned a a shot to make the roster at the very least to start next season. And as Jeremy said, this is a skill set that will play well off the bench. He can play all three outfield positions. He's a good defender, uh, a decent enough contact hitter. You can count on him to put the ball in play uh, a good bit of the time. So he's certainly earned a look next season. You're going to keep him probably on the 40 man. I don't know what his contract status is as far as potentially reaching free agency, but you're probably going to work to keep him around for next season. And you're going to tell him, you know, do the best you can and we'll see if we can find a spot for you. I think he's earned that much. Totally. Totally. And uh, fun watching him come up and just crank the ball. It's always fun. I think when a left-handed batter whacks the ball to the outfield, there's just something nicer or sweeter about those left-handed swings. And he's not the biggest guy in the world. So when he really gets into one and jacks it, it's always entertaining. Jeremy, you talked about Michael Hermosillo, the Ottawa, Illinois prospect, uh, prospect. What am I trying to say here? Product. Product. That's the word that I'm trying to get out of my mouth. He cranked a 441 foot two run homer today. His first home run as a Chicago cub, his second home run in his major league career. Randall, do you know who he hit his first home run off of? That would be today's starting pitcher for the Cubs, Adrian Sampson. Exactly. I I believe Hermosillo said that when they were together at Iowa, he never brought it up because he thought it would be kind of awkward. Um, And it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. That home run happened September 24th, 2018, which frankly, just feels like a lifetime ago at this point, a whole different world back then. Uh, But cool to see him. You know, it means a lot to him to play for the Chicago Cubs. Jeremy, you shared an awesome photo with us on our group chat today. We'll throw it up on the Twitter account so other folks can see it as well of him in a, was it Sammy Sosa shirt at Wrigley Field? Yeah. Many years ago. Yeah. He posted that on his Instagram. So yeah, I heard to see. Yeah, it's a cool shirt. You know, I thought maybe you had that same shirt or some other kids we knew. But yeah, you know, he talked about he also talked about how he growing up, he was a huge Sammy Sosa fan. He loved Kerry Wood. He loved Derek Lee. He loved Ramos Ramirez, Mark Pryor. Those were all his heroes growing up. 
So it's cool to see him this. I mean, he'll get his shot to play at Wrigley Field this weekend. And that will be a cool thing. And then I was also reading about, of course, how, uh, you know, he committed to Illinois out of out of high school to play college football and college baseball. And how when he told Tim Beckman that he was going to end up signing with the Los Angeles Angels, Beckman apparently did not uh, think it was a good idea. Told him that guys like him don't really make it to the majors and that or Ah. they kind of have a long shot to making it to the majors and that uh, kind of put a chip on his shoulder to kind of go out there and prove Tim Beckman wrong and some others as well. Well, nothing gives me confidence quite like Tim Beckman making a baseball point. Yeah, or a football point. Something I noticed about the shirt that Hermosillo was wearing in the photo he posted, it was one of those shirts that has the Players Association license, but not the team license. So you've got Sammy Sosa wearing a blank blue ball cap in the art on that shirt. And, you know, the, the, the real ones, the real ones wear those, getting it from from Coles or from Marshalls. So that's how you know he was a real one growing up. Picking one up at the Jewels, Randall. That's at where the, you get those great shirts. Yeah, the Jewels in the checkout line. Any other current guys right now, other than the obvious, Wilson Contreras, assuming he doesn't get traded, is going to be a very important piece of the 2022 Chicago Cubs. The guy that snapped that, thank you for correcting me too, Jeremy, 12-game losing streak, Kyle Hendricks is going to be a big part of the team next season. Uh, anyone else that we're forgetting here other than we, we kind of worked through the big names at this point. Is there anybody else on this roster right now that you think should contribute to this team next year in a meaningful way? Well, obviously, you know, uh, you know some of the pitchers, uh, Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, I think, you know, we'll see. Justin Steele, I thought, looked pretty good against the Reds. He had some issues, you know, uh, a couple walks, getting in and out of trouble. But, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure he's a starter necessarily, but, you know, we talked about maybe a multi-inning reliever, a dominant left-handed reliever. Keegan Thompson's probably going to get a couple starts. And then, you know, a, a guy like Cody Hoyer came in the other day and he had a, he got the save, a two-inning save, I think, or more than one inning. Uh, so I, I think it'll be interesting to see how the Cubs work with Cody Hoyer uh, at the end of this season, uh, do some adjustments with him and see if they can get him to be uh, you know, a real contributor for the major league team. Cause he was obviously a huge part to get back with Madrigal for Craig Kimbrell. One guy I think has a, a good shot to stick around would be Robinson Chirinos. Mm. Uh, you know, he's hit a little bit this year. He's always been able to hit a little bit. There's always been a little bit of power in that bat. And I think most notably with Contreras out right now, Chirinos is getting a lot of time catching a lot of these younger pitchers. He's getting a, get a lot of time working with Steele, uh, probably a fair bit of time working with Keegan Thompson. He'll have caught Manny Rodriguez. He'll have caught Cody Hoyer, Michael Rucker. Uh, I'm wondering if maybe Chirinos doesn't stick around one more year as hopefully the backup to Contreras. Um, because again, he'll have spent a fair bit of time working with a lot of these pitchers who could factor in next year. And I think if he wants to continue playing, I think you could do worse than bringing him in, bring him back on a one-year deal, as long as you keep some depth behind him just in case. So I think that's a guy who has a chance to contribute again next year. Yeah. I mean, Trinos is an old, older player at 37 already, but who knows? He could stick around and catch some catchers, catchers. play forever. Yeah, some they of them. do. But I, but speaking of catchers, I, I didn't want to note that, um, you know, we, the two catchers are obviously on the roster right now are Trinos and Austin Romine, but that the Cubs, we talked about Andrew Romine pitching to Austin Romine last week, but that Andrew Romine and Austin Romine batted back to back the other day, uh, two days ago, and the Cubs win to snap that streak. That was the first time two Cubs, two Cubs, two brothers had ever played for the Cubs in the, in the, had ever been in the lineup together since 1894. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. I love those stats. Yeah. 
Two brothers in the lineup together for the Cubs. First time since 1894. Jeremy, I mean, you guys are both just uh, bringing out these stats and things tonight. Very, very cool stuff there. There's obviously other people on the team. Adbert's going to be part of the mix next year. Ian Happ finally hitting the ball out of the ballpark. We'll save that conversation for another time. But uh, this is what we're going to be watching over the next month and a half of the season. Seeing how these guys play, how they take advantage of it seeing if the Cubs can knock off some upsets against teams like the Reds, uh, the other opponents that they're going to be facing the rest of the way, and then beginning to piece together that 2022 team. And we're going to talk about that schedule a little bit later. We're also going to talk about some minor leaguers who we may still see later this season for the Cubs and will be worth watching and maybe in the mix for next year. But the Cubs are coming home. They've got a homestand with Kansas City, three games this weekend, then three versus those pesky Colorado Rockies next week at Wrigley Field. And Randall, we've got some weather for this homestand. What is Jeremy going to expect this weekend for Cubs Royals? Well, that's the funny thing about the weather. No matter where you go, the weather is right there waiting for you. As usual, we have the weather report from our good friend Alexander Hall, whom you can find on Twitter at Alexander Hall, uh, one of the three operators of the account Cubs Weather, which fittingly, as always, you can find on Twitter at Cubs Weather. And of course, Alexander is always kind enough to take a few minutes and write out the weather report for us uh, every week. So for Kansas City, the series this weekend at Wrigley, Alexander writes that the series vibe, really for both series, is going to be the typical late summer back-to-school air mass for the duration of the homestand, with occasional rain chances as a few systems brush the area, but mostly staying to the north. There will be a few days with subtle lake breezes and some brief cool-downs behind some weak cold fronts to help keep things from getting too uncomfortable. Alexander says if he were going to pick a game to hit up on the basis of the weather, he'd pick Sunday afternoon or the Monday evening game. So without any further ado, the series versus Kansas City, all games are a 1.20 p.m. start, and that's great. It's good to have 1.20 starts at Wrigley. Yeah. Uh, the Friday game, temperatures in the low to mid-80s, and I quote, a pinch humid with an outside shot at a pop-up thunderstorm and a light lake breeze in from right field. Saturday, temperatures in the mid-80s, and it will be muggy with a slight chance for a thunderstorm and light winds out to center field. And then finally, Sunday, clearing skies, less humid, temperatures in the low 80s, and light winds in from left field. For the series against Ronan's Colorado Rockies making their trip to Wrigley Field for the season, Monday and Tuesday night, 7.05 p.m. Central Time starts. Monday night will be mostly clear, temperatures in the mid-80s with humidity on the rebound. Slight chance for a shower or a thunderstorm. Winds will be light and variable. For the Tuesday night game, temperatures in the low 80s. Clouds will be increasing, and there will be another chance for a shower or a thunderstorm with light winds out to right field. And then finally, the conclusion of the series and the homestand, a Wednesday day game, again at the traditional 120. Temperatures in the mid-80s with a light breeze in from right field and another chance for a shower or a thunderstorm. So pretty typical mid to late August conditions at Wrigley Field for the homestand. So again, follow Alexander on Twitter at Alexander Hall and follow Cubs weather at Cubs weather for all of your Cubs weather need in case you need any Cubs weather to go with your Cubs weather. All right. Thank you, Alexander Hall. Always good stuff. Um, also check out that Twitter. If you want to see pictures of radar and clouds and tornadoes, wonderful photographers, some great content out there and uh, really good stuff. Weather seems like it's going to be all right some bad teams coming into Wrigley field as well. Kansas city dead last in the American league central. They are 52 and 67 and really bad on the road, 20 and 37. 
The Rockies, too, which have one of the best home records in all of baseball, 41 and 21, at or a terrible team on the road, 14 wins, 45 losses for the Rockies. So six games here before the Cubs have to take on the White Sox. You know that's going to be tough next weekend, but a chance for some wins, though. And, Jeremy, you're going to be out there Saturday, no doubt wearing long pants and uh, uh, maybe a Cubs hat, maybe showing some loyalty to the home team. But I'm sure you're looking forward to getting out of the bleachers and, and seeing some Frank Schwindel action, maybe catch a home run. Yeah, I am looking forward to getting out to the bleachers. Unfortunately, you know, you're, you're, you keep promoting me as being out there, but it's also a conflict with the uh, Bears game. So I might end up at Soldier on Saturday as well. Instead, we'll see. I, I have to decide where I'd rather go to. But, uh, you know, I, I am looking forward to some hot Frank Schwindel action at some point this uh, over the next coming weeks. And I'm looking forward to is the Cubs Hall of Fame ready to go? Because if it is, I'd, I'd go out there in the left field bleachers and check that out. But, uh, yeah, it should be an interesting weekend uh, playing the Royals, uh, a team that's not that good. And then the Rockies coming off a win uh, of a series against the Padres. Randall, in a second here, I'm going to ask you if you can maybe fire off some facts or stats on this Cubs Hall of Fame just so that we're all on the same page with it. Um, but with that in mind, one of the early episodes of Behind the Yellow Line, it was during spring training maybe, we talked about the possibility of the Cubs creating a hall of fame. It's something that a lot of teams do. The Cubs have a ton of history. We speculated about who would be in the inaugural class and what that could look like. And in this lost season, uh, boy, the documentaries are coming out about preserving Wrigley field. It's just the, that marketing side of the Cubs machine is what we're seeing because the baseball isn't totally worth watching and the team isn't very competitive. They're selling the experience of getting back out to Wrigley Field and honoring the beautiful ballpark they play in. And that comes with this Hall of Fame being announced. So, Randall, just a couple bullet points or thoughts on what we know about what this Hall of Fame is going to be. We did learn today that it will be located underneath the left field bleachers on the concourse. Well, what we learned is that they are going to incorporate uh, all the players and all the figures who were honored uh, during previous attempts to kind of create this, this Hall of Fame. Uh, so obviously the players who have gone into the Hall of Fame, the National Baseball Hall of Fame as Cubs um, will be honored. And then you've got some other uh, figures who will be honored. Hank Sauer, I know is a favorite yeah. player, favorite player of the show. He's in here. You have guys like Glenn Becker, Hack Wilson, of course, Jack Brickhouse broadcaster, Harry Carey is in there. Uh, Rick Sutcliffe is in there. Bill Buckner, Andre Dawson. And I think that's significant because of course the Cubs have not retired number eight for Andre Dawson, despite his uh, hall of fame career. And, you know, he played for a number of different teams. So, um, but yeah, they've chosen to, pull this list, this established list of players who will be honored. And it's a, you know, it's a pretty good list. And I think their criteria for it, um, it generates a lot of reasonable discussion about who might be in this uh, someday. And there are, uh, uh, there are rules for who will meet the criteria and courtesy of Megan Montemuro, who is the Chicago Tribune beat reporter for the Cubs, the team says that to be inducted into the Cubs Hall of Fame, 
uh, the individual must meet criteria established by the organization, which includes either being a cub for five or more years or making a significant contribute contribution to the cubs organization through service or time. So you would think this probably opens the door for many years down the line. Uh, the, the current members of the core who were just on their way out, they will almost certainly all be honored. A guy like John Lester, who is a member of the Cubs for six seasons, he'll probably yeah. find his way in there someday. So this is probably opening the door, not in and of itself, but for a lot of the great players we've seen in the last 10 to 15 years to eventually get, get some, some firm recognition at Wrigley. You've got the little flags that are flying over the grandstand and they honor certain players with a name or with a number. But I think this is a real good concrete chance to put a guy's picture, put his name, put a bio, uh, you know, somewhere in Wrigley and honor him for his contributions to the team in his time. So I, I think it's good that they're finally getting this put into Wrigley. Yeah. And uh, I would just also point out that, as you mentioned, Randall, that the people, and there's 56 uh, initial inductees. So yeah. 55 of them, were uh, from previous iterations, as you said, where I think 41 were in a Cubs Hall of Fame that they attempted to do in the 80s. So anybody who was in that Cubs Hall of Fame is automatically in. So that's 41 guys. Then another nine guys were on a Cubs Walk of Fame that they did in the 90s, which uh, had actually had a couple. I had a guy uh, left out. Cap Anson did not apparently in this day and age not getting into the Cubs Hall of Fame, but he made the Walk of Fame in the 90s. And then the last five were all. Um, you know, other Hall of Famers such as Greg Maddox, Andre Dawson that weren't in those previous iterations. They get to go in recent Hall of Famers. And then they, uh, the Cubs actually inducted one new one for the class of 2021, which was Margaret Donahue, apparently the first ever female exec, uh, uh, female executive or female officer for a major league franchise that was not a member of an ownership group, which yeah. happened in 1926 when she became the corporate secretary for the Cubs and made it all the way until uh, being executive vice president in 1958. Very, very different time. 1920s, this was not the norm. It took a very long time for that to become standard fare in Major League Baseball front offices. We've talked about King Ng a couple of times now, the first general manager who's female in Major League Baseball history with the Miami Marlins. But as you mentioned, Jeremy, 56 initial inductees here into this new Cubs Hall of Fame, which is being built underneath the left field bleachers on the concourse. You know who's not on it? Not just Cap Anson, but the all-time home run leader, in the history of a franchise that dates back to 1876. No Sammy Sosa. Man, that doesn't make me feel very good. That makes me upset. You hope it's coming, but it is pretty ridiculous to me. I've talked a lot about Sammy on the show. The all-time home run leader in the history of the franchise is not in the Hall of Fame. That's not the proper museum. Put him in there, Mr. Tom Ricketts. Get him back to the ballpark because it's embarrassing that Sammy's not in the Cubs Hall of Fame. That's insane. 100% agree. Uh, I think it's a little weird, especially because I do believe, I know this isn't the same walk of fame from the nineties, but when Sammy was playing, but they have bricks outside of the ballpark, which is kind of a walk of fame. And Sammy Sosa has a brick out there and pretty much every person who has a brick out there has a little section of bricks is in the hall is in this new hall of fame. So to not include Sammy, seems like they kind of made some rules specifically to not include him. Uh, I saw Ed Hardick on Twitter, the Cubs historian was, well, he was like, well, Sammy wasn't in, he was a playing. So he wasn't in that nineties hall of uh, walk of fame. And they just kind of gave him an extra spot because they gave him an extra spot. Well, he deserves an extra spot. And, 
And you could say he's not in the hall the National Baseball Hall of Fame, so he doesn't get in. But, you know, I, I hopefully maybe they can have some sort of coming together with the yeah. Ricketts family and they can induct Sammy into the Hall of Fame and it'll be a nice gesture. You know, him and I will uh, be there. Mark, yeah, him, a Mark Grace, a Derek Lee, you know, these types of guys can all get in together. A cynic could make the case that introducing this Hall of Fame and not having a guy like Sammy Sosa in there initially, it leaves them room to make that a huge deal at the ballpark in 2022 or 2023, where they they finally bring Sammy in and they unveil his plaque in the Team Hall of Fame and they sell a whole lot of tickets in one day or one weekend. So a cynic could make that case that they're kind of purposely omitting him for right now so that they can make some money off of that down the line. I don't know if I'm making that case, but I think a cynic could make that case. Well, make all the money off him that you need. It's just bring him back and what he means to an entire generation of Cubs fans. And we're right in the middle of it. I I absolutely love Sammy because I was 10 years old when he was hitting 66 home runs and the Cubs were really interesting and exciting to watch. So big part of my fandom, listen, I'll talk about Sammy endlessly. We could do a Sammy Sosa podcast and we weren't happy to get that thing going, but uh, maybe a sign that that's going to be coming. Um, I, I love the idea of a hall of fame. I don't like the location. I don't like it being in the bleachers. I thought there could have been a really unique opportunity of an actual like museum that the team would put together. And I don't think it needs to be in the ballpark. In fact, I think it would be better served in any of the real estate properties the team owns in the neighborhood. Thinking about some of the rooftops too, those lower levels of rooftops, yes, get used on game day, but that could be opened up for fans to go in and take a tour through the history of the franchise. Also keep in mind, on game day, you need a bleacher ticket in order to get out to the bleachers. It's not like other ballparks where you can walk all the way across the concourse. So I think on game day, you're limiting the availability or access to something like that. That feels like a missed opportunity. But still, good idea. I think the Cubs are going to pull it off pretty good. I think it's a fantastic microcosm of a lot of our current issues with this franchise, that they are in the process of building a sports book. That will be accessible from outside the ballpark, but that you'll need a ticket to get in and see the team hall of fame. Well, I'll say this too. I have absolutely zero problem whatsoever with a sports book at Wrigley field and the Cubs going in on sports gambling. And the reason why I say that is whether or not you like sports gambling, it is a major, major force. It is a huge financial opportunity for the Cubs and it is going to be standard fare everywhere, not just baseball games. They're being built at football stadiums. We've got professional sports teams in Las Vegas. More and more States are legalizing sports gambling. I've got no problem with the Cubs going out, opening up a sports book, bringing in money. Good for them. The problem becomes if the Cubs are doing all of that and you don't have a top five payroll every single year up at the top, you shouldn't be consistently losing to teams like the Milwaukee Brewers and the St. Louis Cardinals and the Cincinnati Reds when you're the Chicago Cubs. So go out, make your money, Tom Ricketts, but spend it on the team again. And I think 20 years from now, we're going to look back and sort of laugh at this animosity or vitriol being thrown at the Cubs about opening a sports book because it's going to be everywhere. It's going to be standard. You're going to walk into any stadium anywhere in the country and there's going to be a sports book there. But it also says a lot too about how perspective changes. Like, Pete Rose is banned from baseball for breaking the cardinal rule of betting on baseball. Ten years from now, every single big league park is going to have a sports book inside the ballpark. So the Cubs are ahead of the curve. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I do take an issue a little bit with some of the equating Pete Rose with 
you know, the gambling. I mean, I agree that, you know, it's going down the road, but Pete Rose also bet on his own games when he was managing. That brings the whole integrity oh, into it. No, no Hopefully question. Hopefully no, no players or managers. I don't know. I, I That's a part of me that holds a little bit of getting in bed, although I don't blame the Ricketts. And hopefully no managers, players, you know, get involved in that way. But I also want to talk about, you know, we, we are just talking about the Ricketts family and this Cubs Hall of Fame and what they're doing with the ballpark. You know, there's a documentary tomorrow on, on their Cubs YouTube channel. I don't know how long it'll be, but uh, about, you know, preserving and saving Wrigley Field, which to be fair, Wrigley did have a lot of issues. I mean, we were all there when the tribute company just said, eh, put some nets up there. You know, the concrete's fallen. Just catch it with some nets. So it did need a lot of structural improvements. But uh, I, I do think it's a little interesting because all this was supposed to happen last year. So the timing of it now being this year is is kind of funny because it comes across as kind of tone deaf. And I don't have a huge issue with it because, I, you know, they rebuilt Wrigley Field. I think more, a lot of people are going to be interested in seeing a documentary about that. I think, you know, it's I, I don't have a huge but like giving yourself a plaque. I think it's just funny uh, to see that. Uh, and it, it would have been a lot better in 2020 than it did in 2021. I and, and I'm not undermining what Pete Rose did. Oh, no. It's interesting to me in baseball, like two of the most iconic stories in baseball history, the 1919 White Sox and Pete Rose, like people who aren't even baseball fans kind of know what Pete Rose did. They know about the 1919 White Sox. hundred years later, you've got sports books being built inside major league parks. I think it really highlights the shift in culture and what's accepted here. And there's a ton of money to be made in it, right? Uh, you go on DraftKings, Betfred, MGM, whatever it is, you see what people can be betting on and you see people betting a lot of money on it. So I, I don't have an issue, you know, with the Cubs doing that. I think it's the prudent thing to do. And it's going to be such standard fare in just a couple of years that we're going to look back on this and go, I can't believe people protested that, you know, but all, you know, people protested lights going into the ballpark. People protested interleague play. A lot of things that people eventually come around to and become standard fare. And oddly enough, sports books is going to be standard fare everywhere. It will be. I mean, I'm sure soldier will at some or the bears will try to, if they move to Arlington Heights, they'll try to get in on that. You know, everybody's going to want, to have some sort of that's the whole new thing we talked about last week with all, all the residential kind of multi or not residential necessarily commercial excuse me multi uh, use facilities now outside of all the ballparks um so you know owners are looking to make money any way they can especially if it's all it's off the team but not quite off the team then they could pocket all that money because uh, you know you know those sports book gambling that's not going back into the payroll necessarily in terms directly. It's not directly going back to the payroll in terms of salary cap and stuff like luxury tax and stuff like that. Like that's money they could just pocket if they want to. Hopefully they actually do spend it on the team, but uh, it'll, it'll be interesting uh, how that all works out. But you know, yeah, as you were saying, like, I don't have a, you know, a hundred years ago, we were talking about the 1919 white, uh, white Sox. Those guys were making no money. Charles Comiskey yeah. was not paying them. So they were forced into maybe doing some shady deals. Arnold Rothstein, who knows what. Now we got multimillionaires out there, you know, so hopefully they're not caught up in the same fervor of I have to do something to and maybe throw a baseball game or something. And, and that's a good point, Jeremy. It was very different economically back then, but that it almost ruined the sport of baseball. I, I think a lot of fans don't realize how severe that could have been. 
And yet it led into the golden era in the 1920s and radio starting to broadcast games and the immense popularity that dominated the next half century in the United States. So times are changing. It's, it's fun being a baseball fan and seeing these things happen. And still, after all these years going out to Wrigley Field, and I have some criticisms about the rebuild. There are certain things I wish the team had done differently, but overall, very satisfied with the final product. And I'm happy and confident knowing that very likely for the rest of my life, Wrigley Field's going to be there. And I'm going to get to see the Cubs play there. And generations down the line are probably still going to get the chance to go to Wrigley Field as well. And that's very cool because we live in a time of ballparks turning over. Look at what happened in Arlington. Look at what happened in Atlanta. Uh, we've seen ballparks built in the National League Central in the last 30 years. And I wonder which of those parks are going to exist 100 years from now. Is PNC Park going to stand in 100 years? Maybe, but maybe not as beautiful as it is. What about the ballpark in Cincinnati? Is Miller Park going to be standing in 100 years? I don't think that's going to be the case. But but still, Wrigley Field is timeless. And overall, the Ricketts family did a good thing. I am interested in watching that documentary. It comes out tomorrow. That is the 19th of August. And uh, it's going to be a bit of a Ricketts slobber fest, I'm afraid. But at the same time, Wrigley Field's going to look cool. And I'm going to pick up something. There'll be a behind the scenes story, some cool video work that is going to make it worth watching at least. And that's going to be released on the YouTube channel. So even those of you who don't have Mark here are still going to get a chance to see this documentary. And Theo, I did see him in the trailer. Uh, he, had, he had some quotes in there. And um, man, Wrigley Field, it's just, I was thinking about Wrigley a little bit last night at Coors Field. I was hoping to get back for another game this season. I only made it back for those games against the Reds and the Padres when the team was very, very different, but uh, not probably in the cards the rest of this year. Um, but we'll talk about next season. We're going to talk about the schedule in a minute, but we do want to take a quick look at the minor leagues. Our last couple of shows have been very minor league heavy. We're not going to dedicate as much time to that, but we do want to take a quick 30 to 60 seconds, jump to each level of the Cubs farm system and we've broken up who's going to talk about each team we got just a couple of bullet points we want to share with you and then we'll come back together for some group thoughts on that but jeremy get us started at the lowest levels of the minor leagues here in the united states what's going on in arizona with the complex league team yeah so the complex league team you know we've talked about the last few weeks we've mentioned owen casey we've mentioned reggie Preciado, we've mentioned kevin alcantara it's where a lot of the guys that the cubs acquired in trades are um, you know, and now it's getting a little fuller because the draft guys are all coming through there. So you see Christian Franklin out there. You see James Triantos out there. You see guys, you know, the Cubs have drafted. So it's an interesting team. Uh, it's Arizona. So the offense is really high out there. So even the Cubs offense, they're hitting, they're hitting a lot, but you know, you have to temper it towards for both pitching and offense towards the average runs, but the Cubs have been a great offense. Unfortunately, they're pitching down in the complex league has not been so good. They're towards the bottom in a team staff ERA, but they're towards the top in team, uh, you know, ERA. And we've talked about Casey. We've talked about Alcantara, talked about Preciado. Those guys are all hitting a ton. Um, we would like to see James Triantos. He's come out there. He was a Cubs second round pick this year. We'll like to see him come out and hit a little bit more than he has. He's only played two or three games so far. So it's, it's a very interesting follow. You know, you can't watch them, but you can follow the box score. So I recommend anyone who wants to feel happy about Cubs baseball, follow the Arizona Complex League's Cubs every day. And they should be broadcasting those games. So I'd love to be watching a lot of the video on that. And I, I don't often say this, but if I did live in Phoenix or in the Phoenix area, I would be all over those games and the Arizona Fall League. I can't believe there aren't more fans that go and take that in. Um, good stuff, Jeremy. Um, go across the country. What's up in Myrtle Beach right now? 
Yeah, so Myrtle Beach has kind of been a little bit of the opposite. Myrtle Beach, the Pelicans, the Cubs there, the offense has struggled a lot. Now, without a kind of a short season uh, last year and everything, the Cubs kind of aggressively promoted some guys early on. Their first-round draft pick last year, Ed Howard, is 19. Never played you know, before. He got kind of aggressively promoted to uh, Myrtle Beach, uh, Loe, and he struggled a lot. A lot of the offense has struggled, so – a couple guys I do want to look at then are pitchers. I think this kid, DJ Hurst, who was the ninth, uh, I believe he was the ninth round pick in 2018 uh, or maybe 2019. He, out of high school, he's been kind of a very intriguing guy. He has a very high strikeout rates. He, he was kind of 87 miles per hour in high school, and now he's up to like 92, 95 left-hander. So I've been watching a lot of his starts. They've been interesting. He's like rail thin, seems like a lot of projection. And then a kid out of whole flow. Homewood Flossmore, I th- he was also there with David John Hurts in the same draft, one round uh, part. Uh, Tyler Schlafer, t- Schlafer. Uh, I think it's cool to have a you know a, a Chicago area kid down there doing his thing as a high school kid. He made his first debut in Arizona earlier this year, and he's been coming up pitching the last four games in Myrtle Beach. And so those are two arms, along with Rashard Gallardo, who was pretty interesting, or who's you know was a high Dominican signing, hasn't quite developed the way the Cubs. Would have liked them to, but those are three arms down there, all really raw arms, young kids that I think are uh, nice guys to follow. And you can see major upside from those kids. Lots of excitement in the low levels of the Cubs minor league as we work up some good news tonight for the South Bend Cubs. And we recorded this on Wednesday, August 18th. The South Bend team snapped a four-game losing streak. Uh, One of the guys that you're looking at on this team and paying a lot of attention to is Bryce Ball. He's the prospect who came back in the Jock Peterson trade with the Atlanta Braves. Sort of an interesting start for him. He's not ripping the cover off the ball, hitting just 190, but a ton of walks, 20 walks in 25 games, a 352 on base percentage in his 25 games in South Bend. Of his 16 hits, seven of them for extra bases. So four doubles, three home runs, and a ton of walks. That's a guy that we're going to be watching. A ton of power that people are hoping that he's going to continue to develop and a name worth watching. And if you want to watch the South Bend Cubs, you're going to get an opportunity to do that beginning tomorrow, Thursday, August 19th. They will be on the Marquee Sports Network against Jeremy's team, the Quad City River Bandits. So an opportunity for you to take a look at what's going on with the South Bend Cubs. They've got three games the rest of the way on marquee and it starts on thursday august 19th so maybe something to watch here as you prepare for some cubs royals baseball this weekend randall what's going on in tennessee one of your favorite states well tennessee uh of course the double a affiliate of the chicago cubs the tennessee smokies double a is a very important level in the minor leagues maybe more so than it was 10 years ago because double a is where the top prospects really start to distinguish themselves that's where they start to face better breaking pitches and that's where they start to face better sequencing on those breaking pitches that's where the offensive prospects really start to make a name for themselves and sure enough brennan davis of course the number two prospect preseason in the cub system uh, just tonight mlb pipeline updated their rankings he's up to number 14 in all of baseball and he's earning it he's opsing over 900 for the tennessee smokies he had his 11th home run of the season for tennessee tonight brennan davis of course Uh, a name to watch who could very easily factor into the Cubs in the next year to year and a half. The other guy I want to note is Cam Sanders, a fellow Sanders. (laughs) I don't believe we're related, but you never know. Uh, A starting pitcher in 83 and two thirds innings pitch. He has 102 strikeouts. That's good for an 11 strikeouts per nine innings rate, which is uh, great. You know, the numbers aren't necessarily where he'd like him to be. Otherwise the walks are 
not where you'd like four and a half walks per nine innings, but that's a guy who could continue to move up and factor in as a starting pitcher down the road. And most notably about double a is who's not playing there. Braylon Marquez and Miguel Amaya, both guys who would have played for double a this season. Neither of them has played a single inning for the Cubs. Braylon Marquez, he started the season late due to a bout of COVID from which he recovered, but then he tweaked his shoulder during the recovery from that. He has not pitched. Miguel Amaya would have played. He would have caught and got another very valuable season of experience. He has suffered from a forearm issue the entire season, and I don't believe he will play again this season. Both of those guys would have played on the Tennessee Smokies had they been healthy this year, and you could have potentially had uh, the top three prospects in the entire system all on one team. And it's unfortunate that's not the case. And most notably, as we get ready to leave Tennessee, Ryan Jensen, the Cubs first round pick in 2019, a hard throwing starting pitcher. He was just tonight promoted from South Bend up to double A Tennessee. So that's another name to watch on that Tennessee. So double A is very important because if you can establish yourself at double A, you go up to triple A and you're, you're facing, I don't want to say lesser competition, but it's a different brand of competition based on the number of veterans who are sitting at AAA just trying to get a shot back in the majors. Speaking of AAA, Ronan. I love the segue, Randall. Thank you. Iowa, which still has a long way to go, something that I meant to mention at the beginning of this, we had the delayed start for spring training with COVID and all that. The minor league season started late. That means the minor league season this year is going to run late. Some of those minor league levels going into late September AAA is actually going to go into early October this year. So normally by August 18, August 19, you're thinking, okay, maybe two more weeks, playoffs, and then it's over. We still got a long way to go in the minor league system. And in Iowa, two players stand out to me right now, and I think they're both going to be Cubs here pretty soon. First baseman, Alfonso Rivas, he was a fourth round pick in 2015 of the A's, having really nice week here, hitting 461 over his last seven games. First base, big question mark for the Cubs next year. I think they're going to get a good look at him in the final month of the season to see if he's going to be in the mix at first base for the Cubs next year or in a bench role. Another arm that I want to talk about is Scott Efros, the former Hoosier, the Cubs 15th round pick back in 2015. Alex Cohen, the AAA broadcaster for the Cubs said for the Iowa Cubs said, he is the best pitcher right now in that bullpen for Iowa. Just one earned run allowed in his last 12 and a third innings. He doesn't throw that hard. He gets up into the mid-90s. A lot of guys these days are throwing high 90s. But what's interesting about Efros is he's a sidearm thrower. So a different look there. I think we're going to see both Revis and Efros in this Chicago Cubs team here and see if they fit in the mix for next year. We talked about all these guys that are currently playing for the Cubs that should help the 22 team. Both of these guys could be mainstays next year, and that'll be something to watch over the next month. What I'll always remember about Scott Efros is that David Ross's first game as the manager of the Cubs, his first spring training game, he took out John Lester and he replaced him with uh, a guy whose name is F Ross. And that will, that will always <laughs> stick with me uh, in what I hope is the long, productive major league career of one Scott Efros. That's great. What do you got, Jeremy? Well, I was just going to say you mentioned him being a sidearm. I, I believe that was a change that came uh, kind of late to him within the last two years. Not in, in Indiana. He was not a sidearmer. Uh, I spent the majority of his Cubs, uh, early parts of his Cubs minor league career as, you know, uh, I'm not sure if he was a three-quarters guy or more over the top, but not a sidearmer. And that's kind of helped him, you know, become a more successful pitcher in the minors. Yeah, and, and funky deliveries can sometimes be very effective. I saw it backfire last night, though. There's a really, I'm going to say unique. I like baseball players that have character. There's a left-handed pitcher in the Padres bullpen named Tim Hill. 
And Tim Hill has a goofy delivery. He gave up a bomb last night to Charlie Blackman, but I was watching him warm up and it was just fun seeing a different delivery. He's wild with his legs and his arm. He's a big guy coming from the left side. And sometimes that can be very effective. So a uh, good look around the minor leagues, always fun to, to pick on some of these teams. And I think it's neat that Marquis is picking up more broadcasts and simulcasting games. We've seen a lot of the Iowa Cubs on Marquis this year with Elise Meneker doing some of the uh, analyst work alongside Cohen, but let's get double A, single A teams and Arizona up on the Marquee Sports Network. That's the type of stuff that I would be very interested in watching. I've got that minor league baseball TV package. It's rough. It's hard to get through some of those games just because of the interface. But if I lived in Chicago and I had Marquee on my TV, I want to see these minor league games, even if they're on tape delay, put more of those games on TV, even if the production isn't totally professional or totally up to the major league standard. This is absolutely what Marquis should be doing. You have yeah. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year of airtime to fill. And Cubs games are only going to fill three to four hours a day for the, the spring and the summer. You should absolutely, when you don't have a Cubs game on, be finding a minor league game to try and broadcast somehow. Like it's either that or you're showing tennis or during the, the fall and the winter, you're showing collegiate sports. You should absolutely be finding a way to get your minor league teams on your network that's dealing with all manner of difficulties of their own. And you know, I don't know why it's quite taken them this long into the season, but it's good that they're finally doing it because this is what your Cubs RSN should be doing. Something that I've enjoyed about Marquee, and I only get it through MLB.tv, and they've started to show the pre- and post-game shows, so I get a little bit more of a full picture of what a Cubs broadcast is like. But I've enjoyed the times that we've seen Pat Hughes on TV. Uh, just fun kind of putting on the TV, seeing the Cubs playing, and hearing Pat Hughes calling the game. And uh, Pat Hughes had a quote the other day. I think it was actually a radio broadcast that I heard it on, but it really stuck with me in this lost season and this sad year that we've got with the Cubs sort of lamenting what was happening as the players were getting traded away. This was said right around the trade deadline when all those players were going. When Pat Hughes started with the Chicago Cubs, Harry Carey pulled him aside and said, remember, when you signed up to be a broadcaster, you didn't just sign up for the winning games or the winning seasons. You signed up for the whole thing. The wins, the losses, the winning streaks, losing, all the highs and lows that come with broadcasting for a team as a daily play-by-play -play announcer. And it was cool, one, to hear Pat Hughes share that, something it would be very neat to have been there when Harry Carey pulled him aside and shared that with him. But as a fan, we know how important these broadcasters are to us. We invite them into our homes every single day. In our cars, we're listening on the radio. Jeremy, you were out here in Denver at the start of August. We were driving through the mountains. We didn't have service the whole time, but when we did have service, we were listening to Chicago Cubs baseball as bad as things are right now. I love that quote, though, and it's so true. You sign up for the highs and the lows. Pat's been there through it. So even in this dark season, seeing Pat on TV, I can get behind that. It's a lot of fun to do it. It just mixes things up a little bit. Yeah, do we feel like uh, the broadcasters have kind of been taking the main guys, taking a little bit of time off? I mean, I feel like I haven't seen Deshays in a while. Boog just came back. You know, it's a little funny to me, but uh, from that Pat Hughes quote, what was Pat's first year? Was it 96, 97? Because I feel like he probably signed up 97 going over 14. And that's when Harry took him aside. I, I think it was before I would say 96 was 96. Pat Hughes's first year. 96 yeah. was a pretty good year for the Cubs. Sammy had a nice season before breaking his wrist uh, against the Giants at the end of the year. 
But then, yeah, 1997, maybe that was when it was said to him, yeah. but it was early on in his career with the Cubs. Harry pulled him aside and, and Pat Hughes, that guy's been through everything with this Cubs team and, and for particularly our age group. I mean, he's the voice of the Cubs on the radio and he has taken that job seriously. He's handled it with class. He's maybe not be the, the same Pat Hughes, that precise Pat Hughes that we had 10 years ago. But it's a very comforting voice hearing Pat Hughes calling Cubs baseball. And Randall, I know you like this as well. Chicago Cubs baseball is in the, on the air. When you hear Pat Hughes say that, especially on opening day or at the start of spring training, you know you're in for some good times. And I will never, ever, ever get tired of hearing that at the start of a Cubs broadcast. Well, Chicago Cubs baseball isn't on the air until Pat Hughes says it's on the air. Like he, he's the starting gun for the game. He's the starting gun for the season. He's one of the best in the business. You are correct, by the way. Pat Hughes was brought in by WGN Radio in November 1995, which, of course, would have made 1996 his first season in the Chicago Cubs radio booth. And, you know, I said again, Pat, one of the best in the business, to hear him quote Harry Carey, who meant as much as he did to this franchise. There, there's a very real through line from Brickhouse to Carey to Hughes. We've been blessed with some very, very good broadcasters over the years. And not every team is that lucky. As someone who has other pursuits often takes him through listening to other broadcasts a lot of the time as I gather media for other pursuits, we are very lucky. We are very, very lucky <laughs> to have the broadcasters we do here in the Cubs. Even when the team is not good, we are still very lucky. Let, let me say one thing. One, first of all, I completely agree with you. And with MLB TV, I watch a lot of different games. I jump around to different teams. And um, I've been getting very interested recently in putting on the radio feed simulcasted with video. It's very easy to do that with MLB TV. That's cool to kind of hear it. You're right. The Cubs are very, very fortunate. I will say this, though. When Pat Hughes is not on the radio, the drop-off or the drop-off every fifth inning is significant. And I have a very, very difficult time enjoying a Zach Zaidman Cubs broadcast. And if, if I could offer a criticism, he couldn't care less what I have to say about his job Bruce and what Levine he does. Bruce Levine makes it better, right? I, I don't even get me started on Bruce Levine uh, going in there as the analyst. What If I could say one thing to Zach Zaidman, it'd be read the room a little bit. When the Cubs are losing by 11 and Dan Winkler strikes out someone after giving up five runs, don't scream. Just calm down. It's also hard to follow along. He, it's like he gets excited about every play. It takes the significance out of the big home run or those big moments. So it's very difficult for me to listen to Zach Zaidman. I know they love him. Pat is always saying good things about him. I don't know the guy personally. Nothing like that. It's just Zach Zaidman and Bruce Levine calling Cubs baseball this weekend on the radio. Completely unlistenable. And the Chicago Cubs have to do better than that with their radio product. Very embarrassing. Yeah, Zaidman has one job as a radio play-by-play -play voice, and that's to tell you what is happening in the game, and he is so often incapable of doing that. I would like to say, apparently, as I actually had a chance to listen to a full game today while I was at work and alone in the office, pop it on the, uh, the uh, MLB uh, game day audio stream, apparently Coomer's been uh, out ill the last week or so. Um, and you know, Pat says he's doing fine. They're in contact every day and he'll be back soon. He did not put a time frame on it, but we certainly wish all the best to Ron Coomer, the venerable color analyst on Cubs radio. And I'll say Coombs really grown on me as an analyst and as part of the Cubs radio broadcast. It helps that he's not doing play by play anymore. Those innings were very difficult to listen to, but some pretty good teams too. But he, he just, even though he didn't 
play very long for the Chicago Cubs. He's a Chicago area guy. You hear it in his voice. He sounds like, you know, the guy you see at the landmark or whatever other bar you want to pull out uh, um, he's anywhere the guy, in the Chicago area. He's the guy you see at Coombs Corner. Of course, but he's just that guy. He's drinking cheap beers. He's a big baseball fan. And he just sounds to me like the Chicago area. And I truly believe he grew up a Cubs fan. He's very, very passionate about the team, even though he didn't play there very long. And I, it's just, he's really grown on me. Uh, the My favorite, of course, is Ron Santo. And I'm not saying that he was the greatest broadcaster of all time, but he captured the heart of the team. It was fun listening to Santo. I'm seeing Coomer beginning to grow into a similar role as that. I'm not calling him Santo. He doesn't have the significance of the organization that Ron Santo had, but there's just something about him, a very Midwest feel to him that I'm, I'm really growing to enjoying him on the broadcasts. We should do our live broadcast from Coombs Corner. I'm eager to go. This stupid pandemic has prevented me from going there. We lost one of our all-time great restaurants, the Stadium Sports Club over in Des Plaines. We need a place to refill it. I think it's going to be Coombs Corner. It's a longer drive, but it's worth it to go see Coom Dog. We need to work out some kind of sponsorship deal with them. They, uh, you know, they'll pay to get a spot on the on the podcast, and you know, in exchange, we do our podcast live from their their back room or for whatever as they keep the pizza coming. I think this is something we should explore uh, when conditions are a little safer for it. Looking forward to it. Uh, let's end with this: a quick look at next year's schedule as that has come out here. Uh, pretty interesting in that we've got uh, opening day, home openers, a quick look at some home and road trips, interleague play. So let's kind of run through this a little bit here. Opening day, Thursday, March 31st in Cincinnati. The home opener for the Cubs is going to be a Monday, 120 start April 4th against the St. Louis Cardinals. What an iconic matchup to open up the season at Wrigley Field. Uh, interesting stat next year, no homestand or road trip is longer than seven games. So we don't have these eight, nine, 10 game homestands that stretch for a week and a half, nothing longer than seven games. The interleague opponents come out of the American League East. The Cubs will play Tampa Bay, four games with the White Sox, Baltimore, the Yankees, Boston is coming to Wrigley Field. Those should be maybe the hardest tickets to get next year, July one, two, and three. Baltimore will also be at Wrigley Field and the Cubs end interleague play with three games in Toronto at the end of August, 29, 30 and 31. I'm thinking about tough road trips. You're always looking at having to fly cross country. The Cubs really benefit in that most of their trips to the West Coast have an off day in there. So an opportunity to go out to San Francisco after a day off and acclimate to playing there. I think the toughest road trip, July 3 through 10, seven games, three in Milwaukee, then a flight out to Los Angeles for four games at the Dodgers. But interesting, Randall, no homestand or road trip longer than seven games. That's a different wrinkle here in baseball. That is curious because this season there were a lot of 10-game, three-city road trips. Something else that jumped out to me is that the Cubs actually go out to the West Coast uh, on three separate occasions. They play a series in San Diego and then separately – they play a series in Los Angeles, and then separately again, they play a series in uh, San Francisco. So the, you don't always get three different West Coast swings. Usually they'll try and put two of those teams on one road trip and reduce the number of times a team from the Midwest has to fly out there. So that stood out to me that the Cubs will be out in Pacific time in California on three separate occasions. Yeah, and we're going to have to figure out where to go for the uh, road trip, Ronan. 
Yeah, we, we definitely want to get the annual road trip going next year. Plenty of opportunities. So we'll certainly try to identify the right road trip to get things started. A couple other notes with next year's schedule. I wanted to run through some holidays, starting with the most important one, my birthday, April 27. The Cubs are in Atlanta. Mother's Day, the Cubs host the Dodgers at Wrigley. That's May 8th. Cubs also home on Memorial Day, May 30th against Milwaukee. So an NL Central rivalry there. Jeremy, no fun for your birthday. June 6th, no game for the Cubs. Flag Day, the Cubs host the San Diego Padres. Father's Day, it's the Cubs hosting the Atlanta Braves. Fourth of July, the Cubs are in Milwaukee. You can expect to see Randall up at uh, AmFam Miller Park Field Dome for that one. How about this, though? Labor Day, no Chicago Cubs baseball. No game for the Cubs on Labor Day. That bothers me. There has to be baseball to me on Memorial Day, Fourth of July, and Labor Day. And I would love to see some scheduled doubleheaders, maybe not on all three of those holidays, but maybe every year, at least on one of those holidays, your team gets a doubleheader. To me, it's not a proper Labor Day without baseball and sad to see the Cubs not having a game next Labor Day. You need to call in for these negotiations coming up with the CBA to get that written in, the doubleheader on a holiday. I think it's great. And more doubleheaders. I'm sure the Players Association will be all over it. Well, I think the Players Association is all for more off days. So if you get a double header in there and, and you can turn it into maybe a nice TV package or something that could be worth uh, worth something. But I love the old school double header and holidays should have games. And Mo- Memorial Day Cubs hosting Milwaukee, that I'm sure is going to be an extremely hot ticket because you'll have Memorial Day Cubs Brewers. I'm sure some people from Wisconsin will journey down on their tractors, passing the Mars Cheese Castle and the other sites along 94 on the way. And uh, Jeremy, if it makes you feel any better, the Cubs will not play on my birthday either. Oh, that's too bad. Um, I'll, I'll be playing some OTP Randall on Jeremy or on uh, January 13th rather, but yes, no baseball game. Then two other oddities that I wanted to point out, no game on labor day, September 5th, the Cubs have two Fridays next season with no baseball Friday, May 27th. That is because the Cubs and the White Sox are playing four games against each other, two at Wrigley in early May, two at Sox Park at the end of May, Saturday and Sunday. No game that Friday. The Cubs also don't have a Friday game on August 12th. But the reason for that is the game in the corn that's going to be on Thursday, August 11, with Cincinnati being the host in Iowa. One other thing I want to point to, Denver. I'm always thinking about the Cubs and when they're coming out here. Good news is it's four games next year. Bad news is there's a pretty good possibility it's going to be snowing April 14, 15, 16, and 17 early season run up to Denver for the Cubs. The all-star game next year is at Dodger stadium Tuesday, July 19th. So Cubs schedule is out. I heard the spring training schedule was also released today. Um, Still disappointed. No Labor Day game, a couple of Fridays without baseball. That doesn't sit right with me, but Cubs Yankees is going to be fun. Cubs Red Sox is going to be fun. Cubs Blue Jays in Toronto. That could make for an interesting potential road trip. Jeremy love to get up there to Canada and, and see the Rogers center. Um, but Randall, any other thoughts on the schedule next year? I, you know, I, I do like that they are done with the West coast by the end of July, because on the chance that this team is competitive, you hate when it's September and you have to fly out and go play the, the, the four games in San Francisco or whatever. And uh, bringing, bringing in, a team like the Red Sox, that's always a good time. Cubs and Red Sox play. It's always interesting. And of course the Cubs will get to go to New York and play the Yankees. Um, 
you know, if you're interested in tickets, chances are Baltimore coming into Wrigley is not going to be a particularly hot ticket. Good chance you can get good seats for the, those two games, July 12th and 13th. And, you know, these the the Friday off day with this, the Sox series, it's one of those scheduling quirks that's popped up in the last few years. And I don't know that I like it very much. You should no. always be playing a game on a Friday. Monday, Thursday, Monday and Thursday, those are your off days. In a, in a given week, you should be playing a game on a Friday. If you're going to make the Cubs and White Sox play only four games the entire season, which I'm all for, I much prefer <laughs> four games versus the, the six games, play it all in one week. Play it a home and home. Two games at Wrigley, followed by two games at the guaranteed rate cell ballpark of Chicago place. Uh, don't don't split it up like that. And don't don't give it a, a Friday off day. It's it's weird. It's unnatural. I, I don't like it very much. I'd imagine, too, the White Sox are a bit upset at the lost revenue of a potential Friday night game on the south side. Sox playing very good baseball. Those games are always a good draw. Uh, I know that in some years there's been some violence that's broken out at these games. And there was a time there where the White Sox were actually playing those games in the daytime because it was a little bit less rowdy than playing at night. But uh, I don't like the Friday off days. They should be playing every Friday, Saturday and Sunday from April into October. And they should be playing on every holiday. Really, really not happy with Labor Day not having a baseball game. But what can you do? Uh, things are weird in baseball. A lot of things are not the way they used to be. Uh, and still, we'll be watching. But the schedule's out. You can start to plan your road trips. One of the first things I always look at when the schedule comes out is, all right, one of the Cubs coming to Denver. What's the team going to look like? And we don't totally know what the April Cubs are going to look like next season. But I will be welcoming them and a chance for four games instead of three. That's a win for me. Well, I was just going to say that I, I bet Jerry is pretty happy, Reinsdorf, that is, about getting those Saturday and Sunday games. So if you only have two games uh, to play the Cubs at home, I would think you would want a Saturday and a Sunday game. Yeah, get them, uh, get them down there on the south side. Although, just because I want to be a little bit combative with you, maybe he likes the midweek games because the Sox wouldn't necessarily draw 40000 on a Tuesday night. If the Cubs are playing there. They get the boost midweek, and then the weekend, if, I don't know, the Royals or the Tigers are coming in, they get good draws anyway but the Sox have been drawn pretty well on the south side and I think that's going to continue as they continue to play competitive baseball yeah Oakland they're packed tonight all right one other thing I want to talk about unless Randall you got something yeah yeah one thing as we start to head towards the end uh, of this particular edition the Cubs system actually pulled off a clean sweep tonight from the major league Cubs all the way down to the Dominican summer league every level in the Cubs system won their game this evening That's awesome. I appreciate you jumping in with that. You should have done it about 25 minutes ago when we were talking about the minor leagues, but I know you had to wait till the uh, outcomes, of course. To my deep, deep regret, I don't believe the games had ended 25 minutes ago. Sadly, the teams do not play according to our podcast schedule as convenient as that would be. Well, I want to say one other thing here, and we're going to post the video on Twitter and our Twitter account is at BTYL podcast. So give us a follow there. We're going to post the video. One of the things that I promised earlier in the year, and I've held off on it, but it's time now with the major league team struggling is to periodically revisit one of my favorite teams, the 2001 Chicago Cubs, a team that won 88 games and unfortunately just missed the playoffs. They had many miraculous things happen that season. Sammy Sosa had a 10 war season. Maybe my favorite stat from the 2001 Chicago Cubs, they were not once shut out the entire season. Every single game, they scored at least one run and got to 88 wins on the year. But we just passed an anniversary of maybe the most iconic moment of the 2001 season. That was August 7, 2001. 
Cubs Rockies at Wrigley Field. The Cubs ended up winning that ball game five to four. The winning pitcher, Kyle Farnsworth. But it's how the Cubs won that game that's so memorable. And uh, recently, the YouTube channel for MLB put up an extended clip of the final play of that game. And that's what we're going to share. But uh, long story short, the game was tied 4-4, bottom of the ninth inning. Cubs had Ricky Gutierrez on at second base. Sammy Sosa was on at first. The batter was Joe Girardi. Two outs in the inning. Girardi rips a ball into left field. Gutierrez is coming around third as the winning run. He trips on the bag, falls down. A crazy uh, bedlam, let's say, breaks out on the base pass. The ball's thrown all across the infield. Gutierrez breaks for home. He gets just in front of the slide. The Cubs win that ball game to stay in first place and improve to 64 and 47. Amazing moment at Wrigley Field that night. And we'll be sure to post that clip and, and revisit it. Randall, do you have any specific memories of that ball game or that moment? I don't, but I do want to say it seems like when the Rockies come into Wrigley, strange things happen between that game, a game in 2008 where the Cubs went down huge in the first couple innings and they ended up coming back to win it. Uh, 2015, Jason Mott gives up a whole bunch of runs in the ninth inning and the Cubs win when Chris Bryant walks off John Axford. It just seems like when the Rockies come into Wrigley, really strange and really entertaining things happen. I think there was a similar walk-off in 2007. Yes. It's like Jerry. That's right. Soriano with his patented little dunk into right center with a runner on second to win the game. Jeremy, this reference game. The Bob Howery game. Jeremy, this reference is for you. It's like Futurama, the microwave popcorn and the supernova, uh, the red and the blue energies colliding. It just seems like when the Rockies come to Wrigley, strange and usually entertaining things happen. And it just so happens the Rockies are coming into Wrigley right around the corner. And with both teams in the state that they are, who knows what's going to happen? I was going to say, I remember a game when the Rockies came into Wrigley and they scored in every single inning of the game. Well, normally when you think of crazy games, you, you sort of naturally think of Coors Field, but plenty of examples, to your point, Randall, of chaos at Wrigley. That game in 2007, I was at that one. Bob Howery gave up a ton of runs late. A fan ran on the field to confront him, and then Soriano walked it off, no problem. This game in 2001, the Rockies, not a good team, 46-66 and 66 with that loss, but uh, one of those great moments. And something, if you are watching the clip that we're posting, I think Gutierrez would have been nailed at the plate had he not tripped it wasn't a perfect throw from left field for the Rockies it sort of one hopped the plate a little bit up the first baseline but look at where Gutierrez is coming around third base when the ball is released I think the Cubs caught a break in him tripping there chaos breaks out on the infield and next thing you know the Cubs are walking off winners yeah and I'm just was that also the game where uh, Mongo uh, Steve McMichael was ejected by Angel Hernandez singing the seventh inning stretch. He famously said he was going to have speaks with that umpire as he as he got ready to sing the stretch from the broadcast booth. And of course, Angel Hernandez turned right around, looked up at the broadcast booth, and he did the "You're out of here." Again, strange things, strange energies colliding. Forty thousand. 266 people at Wrigley Field that night. First place Cubs get the walk off win. Your starting pitchers, Jeremy. Kevin Tappany for the Cubs, Denny Nagel for the Colorado Rockies, a couple of other names that stand out in that ballgame, other pitchers for the Cubs, David Weathers, Jeff Facero, who blew the save, Kyle Farnsworth getting the win in relief, going in inning and a third, he struck out one and walked one, the Cubs starting lineup in that ballgame, I'll roll through this really quickly, amazing names, I love the 2001 team, Eric Young Sr., 
Ricky Gutierrez, Sammy Sosa, Fred McGriff, the Coom Dog, Ron Coomer hitting fifth, Gary Matthews Jr., Delino DeShields, Robert Machado behind the plate, and Kevin Tapney on the mound. Uh, one player of note on the Rockies, their leadoff hitter that game, future Cub Juan Pierre, the center fielder, let off that ball game for the Colorado Rockies. So we'll post the clip. Great fun. One of my favorite moments as a Cubs fan and uh, both broadcasts. It's just a crazy, crazy play to have that break and happen and to see the crowd erupt in a full Wrigley Field at the end of it worth revisiting. So we'll come back to the 2001 Cubs a couple more times as this uh, 20th anniversary passes us here this year. Uh, but for now, the Cubs, a couple of wins. They take the series from the Reds, lots of excitement on the farm. And we're going to come back to talk about a whole lot more of it next week, uh, hopefully following a nice homestand here, Randall, and a chance to beat up on some bad teams. That's certainly the hope, you know, if, if you wanted to win a couple games and maybe ruin your draft position. The Royals and the road version of the Rockies coming in are certainly good teams to do that against. We're on Twitter at BTYL podcast next week. We'll talk more Cubs. We'll also talk about the collective bargaining agreement. I was thinking about getting into it, but let's hold off on it in part because the dust is still going to settle major league baseball. The owners today throwing out, the very, very first step of what's going to be an ugly process, talking about a $100 million salary floor and a new tax on any rosters over $180 million. But a lot's going to change before anything's implemented. We'll let the dust settle over the next couple of days, and we'll talk more about it next week as well. But for Randall and Jeremy, let's keep the good vibes going with the Cubs. Jeremy, have a good time on Saturday, and we'll see you, whether you're at the Bears game or the Cubs game, have a good time, enjoy it. We'll see you all next time here on Behind the Yellow Line.